Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Take Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by Pat Mayo as uh, as we are every so often. Pat and I talk about his trip to Europe. We talk, uh, you know, about uh, about our golf games, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, just kind of meandering through what's been going on in our lives since the last times that we chatted. I always like talking to Pat, one of my uh, one of my best buds. I really I really enjoy Pat, and I really appreciate him coming on the show. And I hope that you guys do as well. If you want to get more episodes of this show, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash takecast, or if you just want to support the show, you can leave a rating or review on iTunes, or just tell someone about the show. Say, hey, you know, I enjoy the show. It's funny. It's good. It's bad. You know, whatever. But uh, that is always appreciated. And now let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone. Welcoming in one Mr. Pat Mayo to the program. It's, uh, I, I was going through episodes. It's been a while. We haven't we haven't chatted in uh, in a couple of months. I was missing I was missing my buddy, so we're here. We're chatting. You just got off the driving range. I'm probably gonna go when we're done here. Uh, it is it's it's definitely great golf season right now throughout uh, throughout the land. Yeah, I just bought a new three wood and a new hybrid. I've never owned a hybrid before, so really? I go to the range every day to be like, how do I hit this? I'm finally starting to get it because I used it because I've had them in my bag for about two weeks now. So I'd be on the course and I would think to myself, this is a perfect time to like hit this like 220 hybrid. And I pull it out and be like, I don't know how to hit this. Like, I don't want to use this on the course. So on, I played with Cust on the weekend. I finally just said, fuck it. I was like, I don't care like what I shoot today. I got to use these clubs. Like I bought them. Like if I don't use them, I'm never going to figure out how to fucking use these things. So I was just spraying them all over the place, but it did help. It gave me a bit more confidence to go and hit them. So now I've been at the range and I'm hitting them better. So hopefully that works because for the past year I've had driver, no woods, no hybrids. And my like longest iron is a five iron. So I have nothing between, I mean, I can hit a five iron like 210 when I hit it well, which is right. not often. So it's a, hard, it's a hard club to hit. Five iron, five iron and below is very hard to hit. So, so essentially, like anything from like 180 to 230, I just have no shot. And I played the Cabot courses last week, uh, midweek. And there's like, we played the guys that I was playing with were good. They were like, you know, eight, nine handicaps. I'm like a 
18 to 22 kind of thing. So we're playing from the back tees, not the very back tees, the second to back tees. I'm usually like a silvers or whites kind of guy. Yeah. When I go out there, that's more my my speed. So some of these par threes were 235 yards, 227 yards. Like I don't have a club for this. I can't hit driver. And my five iron is just going to be short. So I just had to try to hit a five iron as hard as I could. And I was like, fuck this. I need to See, learn how the- to do I need to learn how to hit the stupid hybrid. The hybrid is the hacker's best friend. Like if you're like a 15 handicap, which is I'm, I'm right. I hover in between like a 15 and a 17 and I'm not very good. And I'm definitely not long off the tee. I lose, I I lose my driver a lot. So I, I just hit, I, I hit my hybrid pretty consistently, like 190 to 210. Um, I'm not, I do not hit the ball very far. My swing is my swing is not very good. But you're, hybrid, a, you're, you're better than me. You're a 15 handicap. I mean, that's what is so, so I'm probably not really, but the golf courses that I play on around here are very short. And I've played a lot of them. Like we, um, so for my bachelor party, we went to two really nice, the, the resort that tiger has a course at in oh. Missouri. Um, and I, I on a, the hardest golf course I've ever played on the first day I shot a 97 and I felt like good about it. I was like, that was a, that was a good 97. Uh, and then we played again the next day and I was beat. Like, you know, you've been on, you've been on boys trips where you're just golfing every day. Like the second and third day gets a lot harder. And I played really bad the next day. It's funny. Like you're, you're looking like you're in pretty good shape right now. That's usually my biggest advantage on these trips. Like, although I am hurting, I am, physically still able to go much better day three than everyone else on the trip. So no, I get same, progressively same better versus here. the field. <laughs> so same thing here, but my friends are all relatively athletic. Like, um, like they're, they're, they're better at golfing than me. I pick up strokes on them around the greens. I'm, I'm pretty good with my wedges and I don't three putt a ton, but I, I just, I really do not hit the ball very far. Like a, a good drive for me is like two thirty with, with some bounce like and it's it's not because i'm not strong because i've been working on that a lot but my swing is just too compact i just i don't i don't really like the way you see like justin thomas and those guys like swing out of their shoes like i can't i can't get around like that Uh, i took lessons over the winter once a week or like once every two weeks and it really did help i get shocking how much it helped like 100 it helps i have no no doubt about that at all so in, in the deal, uh, Mayo Media Network sponsored this golfer to go like he's a pro in Canada. So oh, that's really I, cool. I sponsor him in exchange for lessons. That's right. I mean, look, if, if any uh, aspiring golfers are, are out there listening to to the show and they want to reach out to me, what I what honestly what I think would be super helpful for me. And I've been like Googling around for this is just like some sort of training app that that works the same way like one of my workout apps does like today you're going to do this and today and then the next day you're going to do this so it's like you hit you 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 hit 100 balls uh from 50 to 75 yards one day and then the next day you putt 100 times with this specific putting drill like i think that like if that app doesn't exist it should i think there are uh, i feel like i get instagram targeted ads for oh, that same. very specific thing so i'm pretty sure it exists if not let's uh, find some coder and developers and just go print money somewhere i get it it is so funny i get my my instagram targeted ads are so good i mean they get at least once a week i'll buy whatever crap they're marketing me because they are so good and my interests are so specific 
that when the algorithm actually picks me up the right way, it's like almost guaranteed to be something I want. Like it's crazy how good it is. I remember discussing that with Cust on a Cust Corner once and he was freaked out that these targeted ads were coming out. I was like, I love it. It's great. I find all this stuff I would have that I want to buy. I don't need to buy it. Obviously. 100%. It, I'm like, oh yeah, I could use that. I like that. I will buy it. It's much better than just random ads. Yeah, I like to buy stuff anyways. Like frivolous purchases are like one of my favorite pastimes. Like, so that's kind of funny about me is I'm not like a big spender. Like I don't, I don't go on like luxurious vacations. I don't buy, like I, I drive a, a beaten up car, but what I do like is like frivolous purchases from like 50 to $150. That is, that is my, my sweet range to just treat myself to just crap. Right. Just, and at, at the end of the day, it really is crap. And, but Instagram, I mean, they, they really get me like, uh, like golf clothing and, uh, like gym, like it, honestly, it's a lot of clothes. I, I have, way too many clothes, but like uh, the best pair of gym shorts I ever found in my life, Instagram targeted ads. And I, I've had like four pairs now. Really? That's really interesting. I need new clothes. I haven't bought new clothes in probably over a year now, like picking up stuff that I need here and there, but I, I have no clothes for the show. I've been wearing the same stuff for like three years now. So I think I need to, to, to at least before football season, like proper football season, invest like in 10 new shirts or something like that. I, uh, I, so I actually run to doing TV. I kind of run into the same thing where I, I just wear my golf polos and I have like six that I really like, but they don't, you probably run into this too. You don't want anything too noisy for a oh, video. Dis disagree. I would say it's the exact opposite. Yeah. You, you Okay. You go the other way. You yeah. want as noisy. And that was one of the first things I learned at broadcasting school. And it's a bit of a different, I mean, maybe it's not because a lot of these clips, especially with you with sports grid, where they have that digital media contract. Like if I go to like the LA times, I'll look yeah. up the LA times. And like you're there talking about the Dodgers or something right. like that. Cause that's how those video players work, but no one actually opens those videos to watch them. The whole point would be back in the day. It was, Hey, if I'm at a bar and it's the same reason I, I yell and move my hands around all super, the time. super noisy shirt. I'm a super wanna... noisy shirt. Yeah. Like you, you walk by, there's no sound on you look at the TV. It's like, what the fuck is that guy saying? Like, turn that on for a second. I think it kind of the same principle works in terms of digital media type stuff. So I think louder, the better, but that's me. That's I can get away with that because that's an extension of my personality turned up a little bit. I don't know if you have that I mean, you might, I, I don't know, really. Are you someone who wears like very flamboyant shirts in your regular life? Cause I do. I, I was, when I was in college, I would wear a lot of like really bright colored stuff. Um, like, you, you know, tie dye and, and camo and stuff. Not, not anymore. I'm, I'm pretty much a black short or khaki short guy with a white shirt or a black shirt. And which is funny. Cause I have a lot of loud stuff left over from college. Like I have, you know, the, like some of the most hideous, hug, uh, hideous, ugly shit that, that I could ever like that I'll never wear again. But I kind of just like to keep it. I, I do. Do you do this? Do you keep on to jeans that fit you 10 years ago that don't fit anymore? You just can't get rid of them because I have that. No, I have never had a problem. I've moved so many times now that I've gotten rid of stuff. I've just gotten to the habit of purging stuff once a year, once every six months. Like, hey, if I haven't worn that in six months and it's not like summertime to wintertime type thing. Yeah, it's gone. Like goodwill. Here you go. Yeah, I can't, I can't do it. I'll, honestly, it's because I, I, it's probably even because like at the time I purchased, like 
like a good pair of Levi's new from the store is what, like a hundred bucks probably. I don't even, I don't even know. It's been so long since I bought like department store pants or whatever. But like when I was 20 years old, like that was an investment, like buying a pair of Levi's was like an investment. And so like knowing that how much that cost me relative to what I was buying at that time, I'm like, I don't want to get rid of these. The the last pair of pants I bought was actually three weeks ago. It was a hundred euro. And I bought a white pair of jeans at Tommy Hilfiger in Paris. Amazing. Because the place that we wanted to go to, we had walked across Paris and it was, I I don't know what 30 degrees is in Fahrenheit, like 88 degrees or a million degrees or something in Fahrenheit. It was 30 degrees Celsius in Paris, like, and with the smog, it was balmy. Yeah. And we walked probably an hour and a half from our hotel across the city. It was our first day in Paris to try to go see it. It didn't realize that there was a pants dress code at the place that we were going to. Yep. So I wasn't wearing fucking pants walking across Paris. I was wearing like shorts. I'm lucky I was wearing a t-shirt and I wasn't wearing like a tank top or right. something like that. So we get to the place. They're like, yeah, you can't come in. I was like, oh God. So then I spent like the next 20 minutes, like clothing store, Google maps. Like what is the closest thing to me? And it was around 7 PM, 7 15. And like everything was closed. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like this, and my wife, it was like the one place where she actually really wanted to go. It was, Hemingway's, wanted to bar. Go. It was yeah. Hemingway's Bar in Oh, Paris. that's really cool. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. But then I had to be like, where's the closest place where I can buy pants? Where's the cheapest pair of pants I can buy? There's like, well, these white jeans are on sale for a hundred euros. Like, ah, oh, God, give them to me. Let's so go. You got to wear, you got to wear white pants in Hemingway's Bar? Yes. And now you- I have this pair of white pants that are three inches too long at the bottom so i had to roll them up like i was fucking eric van royen and like oh. <laughs> it's not really my scene but listen i i had fun at the bar how much do you think a cocktail because it's only cocktails that oh you and hemingway's bar like uh i don't know the 27 american dollars 39 euro a piece for every so that, drink so what is that i don't even i don't even know relative euro to the dollar right now what's what's stronger uh, the euro is stronger. So it's like 45 bucks American. So like 50 bucks Canadian. Oh, dude, that is painful. It was where it, listen, it's an experience that you go to, you know, that you're going to get waylaid in terms of price. We only had one drink, <laughs> but right. It was, I got this, like, it wasn't a frozen vodka martini, but it was like a very cold vodka martini. And it was the first bit of hard liquor I had on the trip. This was towards the end. I don't really drink hard liquor. Because uh, I'm not 25 and wanting to fight everyone anymore. Uh, right. Once I once I cut out the hard liquor from my life, no more fights. Shockingly enough, but vodka I can still do. Uh, vodka is pretty light on the. Uh, it's not dark rum, put it that way. Uh, it was delicious, and I I was feeling it like like the the alcohol percentage in that martini was through the roof. There we go. Um. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was. And I don't have you watched any of the Stranger Things? It doesn't particularly matter for this conversation if you had or not. Uh, no, I watched part of season one. What my wife is watching season four right now. I think she might yeah. have just binged through it. It wasn't really. I never really got why people liked it so much. Uh, well, people like it because it reminds them of when they were kids, right? It's very but nostalgic like, I, for I the am 80s. the age of when that was. Yeah, you first. should. You should like this. Why? What? Well, I I'm surprised that you don't have 80s nostalgia that fed into that. I don't know what it is. It just something never clicked with me with it, and I don't know. It's weird judging the perception because people by and large are very bad at reviewing TV in general, mainly I think that's because true, yeah. if they're watching it, they like it. 
Like, for example, I've watched all the new Star Trek shows. So Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, and the, even the even the. I was I was gonna say if you have you watched this animated, I get I get targeted advertised this animated oh, for, one for all lo- the time. for Lower Decks. Yeah, Lower Decks is fucking incredible. It's one of the best cartoons out right now. It is hilarious, but it works better if you have like a background in Star Trek. You can watch it independently, but yeah. it's one of those things that's layered enough that there's more jokes per minute uh, if you are familiar with it. But Picard and Discovery like aren't good. Like they're okay. The budget for them is spe- they look spectacular, but the shows themselves are pretty underwhelming. The new show that they just released, uh, Stra- Strange New Worlds, it's like the Enterprise before Kirk with Captain Pike, who was in season two of Discovery. It's really good, at least so far. It's like four episodes in or something. And they went back to the formula of every week it's a new story. Like Discovery does these like 13 episodes, season long arcs and Picard did it too. It's like, this show is not made for that. Like that's good for true detective. It's not great. Like the stories that they were trying to do over these 13 episodes used to be one episode of the old show. Like there's only so much you can squeeze out of it. So now that they're back to like the episodic format, I think it just works a lot better. I think that there's going to be a switch back and it's already started a little bit. Because we had like the 22 to 30 minute comedy revival because people only had so much time. And that's easier to binge. Like, it's almost like people prefer watching TVs to movie, despite they're going to watch TVs for a longer amount of time. They feel like they have 100%. the opportunity to stop yeah. at some times. So when you binge like something like The Office and like Friends, just the popularity that it had during streaming, like at the beginning of streaming, when that was so available on Netflix, the reason they got so popular is I mean, they're 22 minutes long. Like you can bang out 17 of them in a day if you really wanted to. Yeah. And you could still go do other things during the day. I think we're going to see a return to the non-serialized one hour procedural of some sort of whatever genre that it's in. Just because I think that people are, you know, kind of in tune with that right now. Everyone's on their fucking phone all the time. Is there, is there anything like that right now? I mean, they're still making Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, but I feel like there's a through story to that. And that's sort of like, I mean, what's that show been on for like 20 years now? Like CSI, I think came back like that type of thing. Like elementary was kind of like that. I didn't mind elementary so much house was another one like there is like a through story but it's very what's your what's your favorite procedural of all time of all time probably star trek the next generation really mine's mine's x files for sure but so x files is a good example of what the newer shows should be targeting to do some through with monster of the week yeah with some through with monster of the week and that's what this new star trek show is kind of doing it's a different situation every single week a new adventure every single week but there are like casual character storylines that go all the way through it but you don't really need it's like so many of the shows now and it was easier to do in the mid-2000s when tv was like at its at least creative peak when you had breaking bad and madman and the wire and all this like cell phones were around but like it wasn't the smartphone generation like you could sit down and watch those shows and you did it was like reading a book how much you had to pay attention to it I just don't feel like even myself, like, I just don't have the attention span for it anymore. I will find something else to do while I'm watching something else. I'll be working. I'll be on my phone. I'll be doing fucking whatever. Yeah. And I think we're seeing media kind of catch up to that in the long form now. That's why TikTok and Instagram, the reels have been. I, so- I saw a great article about that the other day about how if you just if you just um, break down like total hours of eyes spent on screens like TikTok and Instagram are crushing Netflix, Hulu, 
yada yada Disney Plus, and that is it's kind of an unforeseen competitor for these things. Is that you know I there was what was it a month ago that the Netflix uh, stock price tanking was was in the news, and and that was as these empires have attempted to build. That was something that they didn't project was some i mean there are some people who will do both right put put on a netflix show and scroll instagram but there are a lot of people who will just sit on their couch look at TikTok for two hours and that's it and then it's time for bed yeah i mean i've fallen trapped to that too like i'll just i'll open up something to go like i'll go into instagram to look at one thing like oh yeah yep. there's there's something i had saved that i wanted to see like a workout or something like that then i'll just look at it for an hour and yeah. not realize where the time has gone yeah. Um, so the reason why I bring it up is I actually wanted to talk about what you got into, which is like, what, what, because I kind of think the the strategy from these corporations is wrong. I, I think the Netflix strategy of, because they, this last month, they laid off a shit ton of people that they had just hired a ton, like, like thousands of people who had gotten development deals and stuff um, for, for, you know, real shows. Uh, a lot of animated shows got cut. And, and they're trying to, I think, do the wrong thing, which is feed into the monoculture, right? Stranger Things, they, I, I think it was that they spent like roughly $30 million per episode for this seven episode run of Stranger Things. And to me, uh, there's got it, there's a very much a point of diminishing returns, right? Because there are only so many people in the world who are interested in Western culture enough to pay for a Netflix subscription. And it feels like you're much more likely to generate new and continuing subscriptions via smaller budgeted niche shows. Well, honestly, kind of the way that like YouTube content creation works, right? The reason why YouTube content creation exists is because they feed into these hyper, hyper specific small niches. And I think Netflix has the ability to, and, and Hulu and Disney Plus and all of them, they have the ability. Like I, I, if I was, you know, VP or whatever of Netflix, I would not have granted that big of a budget for season four of Stranger Things for sure. Well, it, it depends. I believe that is their biggest show. Yeah. Oh, easily. So at some point when you have one of these flagship shows, part of the budget can also kind of double as marketing for marketing like, as a part of the advertising budget. So you can justify it in that way because the goal with Stranger Things is like, okay, what, what do we have after Stranger Things? Who knows? And you might have a lot of these micro shows. I mean, Netflix puts up all this shit all the time. Like, I mean, where did this come from? Like, you could scroll through it for like three days and not get to every and, single yeah. show that they have up there. Right. So the the goal with Stranger Things is to, because you're not really getting anyone new with Stranger Things at this point. It's you to did. just not have people canceling. You don't have people canceling. And then you have them return to Netflix and maybe one of these like 10 new micro niche shows that they have out appeals like, that, that hits like your wheelhouse and you see it up there, then you click on that, then the cycle starts all over again. So I do think from an advertising perspective, like the hardest, like there's a reason that they can afford to spend the $30 million per episode, if that's what it is on Stranger Things, because it makes so much fucking money for Netflix that they know that the biggest thing that they can do, like, yeah, it's great that if people love this, this one niche show and then maybe in a month's time they'll come back to see if there's another one that's great and everything but to have these big budget shows that really do work out like you're talking like 20 to 40 million people watching these not 500,000 and that's where the bills get paid so the more money that you can try to do with these established products these legacy products at this point where you can draw the people in it's just treading water until you can find the next one of these things that's your big money maker 
Yeah. I mean, like, I, for example, I think had, I probably would have paid for a month of Netflix to watch Stranger Things, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm a Netflix password share. I paid for it for a long time, even though I could have had uh, a shared password. The, the price hike, though, I was like, this is fucking insane. $20 a month for Netflix, no way. I'm out. I'm not doing it. That's not horrible, though. Like just in the grand scheme of it's, things, it's th- not my it's not my top streaming though. I what? I would pay I would pay twenty dollars a month for Hulu because Hulu has most of the stuff that I want to watch, but well, Netflix is not my top. Let's power rank these then. What what are the top streaming services? Do you think for me? It's see my my interest would be I think I think for most people it would be Hulu though because Hulu has the uh it's got the most broadcast television now. Um, so what does that mean? Like Hulu in Canada is different than Hulu in the States. That's right. Yeah. I've kind of forgotten that the, the rights deals between, Oh, I mean, it's, it's the streaming services are different in every single country. Yeah. So like a lot of the stuff from Paramount plus, for example, um, in Canada is not on Paramount plus Canada because the rights for those shows were obtained by a different streaming service. So they're actually on what we have is crave up here, which is probably, I mean, that's overall the best streaming service because it was the first sort of Netflix competitor in Canada and it just grandfathered in all of these shows. It basically has everything. Like if you just had Crave, you would be, it has all HBO, it has all Showtime. Like it has the content, it's HBO Max plus almost everything else. So it's movies, TV, even like newer TV. Like if stuff came out on Tuesday, it would be up on Crave on Thursday or something like that. That's, that's how Hulu works here. Um, where it's like, if I want to watch something that's on Fox broadcast television, it's on there. Um, uh, so, you, so you watch uh, Sean Hannity on demand? No, no. Like Fox, like channel, well, it's channel four here. I don't know. Uh, like if I want to watch like Bob's Burgers or Family Guy or The Simpsons or something. Um, that's all on, on Disney Plus here. So, so it's not on Disney Plus here. Uh, it's obviously owned by the same corporation, but it's, it's like an age gated thing. I don't think they want uh family guy and bob's burgers where like kids <laughs> kids can get on it or whatever that's 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 what i've heard but okay. for, so for, so what was i mean did you did you watch any of pam and tommy no uh-uh did, was that on hulu yes that was on hulu for us okay, that was on disney plus for us <laughs> see that's really so so i and i think honestly eventually that's probably what they should do is they should just have it all on disney plus like it doesn't like obviously all the money's funneling to the same place uh and they sell um so here in the States, they sell a bundle where for, I think it's 13 bucks a month. You get ESPN plus Disney plus and Hulu, which is like a pretty good deal. I that's, think a, could, that's, that's a really, you could, that, that would be like when people talked about cord cutting at the very beginning, that's what funny, they meant. It, it's funny when we talked about cord cutting, fuck, even 10 years ago, because I yeah. think you and I were kind of on that train. I remember the only time I would have cable would be when I moved into a new place and they would give you like some uh, great yeah. deal for 12 months yeah. with four months free. And then when the year came up, you're like, yeah, I don't want, I'm not paying 200 bucks a month for cable. So I'm just going to cord cut. And I knew, but it also felt like illegal streaming was so much easier then. Like it was, it's hard now. It was far more accepted back then because no one was really monitoring it. And there weren't all these places to do it. So you had to be like somewhat savvy. Remember those boxes that you would buy? I think there were, it wasn't a Roku box. I forget what the name. I think they were called like Android boxes. I don't think it was whatever it was, but you would just plug it in and you'd have to go to Cody and pre- press whatever it was and program in all the channels. People probably still do that, but like it was a real hassle and you had to have really good internet in order to make it work and da 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 But you could do it, but it was hard. 
And you really had to be on top of what was going on in order to cut the cord. And you really couldn't watch anything live. That was the biggest thing. I remember I used to use, I think it was US TV org dot something. It was for, yeah. it was for military personnel stationed across the world. And they would give you eight channels for free, like ABC, NBC, whatever it was, it was free to use those. And for like 10 bucks a month, you could buy like another 20 channels and high definition and all this stuff in like 2012 or something like that. And since I, my VPN was outside of the United States, it would allow me to, so anyone worldwide could use this to watch all those channels if they really wanted to, or get a VPN, turn yourself to Britain and use it in within the United States if you wanted to. But that was like an easy workaround to do it. That was really the only way outside of like really sketchy streaming sites or you'd have 4,000 pop-up ads. Yeah, I just did that. I just did the the 4,000 pop-up ads to, yeah. to watch live sports. And that sucked. Uh, but at it, least did. With this, it really did. At least with this one, you could kind of figure it out. But that deal is any everything that I kind of wanted 10 years ago. Disney Plus, Hulu, and the Hulu that you've described where you can still get broadcast TV kind of thing, and ESPN Plus. What else do you really need? Well, so the ESPN Plus, though, that's not like you're not going to be able to watch like uh, an NBA finals game on that. Is that because that's on ABC? It's because they, they keep like the premium broadcast is still, you still have to have a cable login for that. Okay. See, I didn't realize that. I assumed if you had ESPN plus, you could just no, e- stream ESPN and ESPN two and whatever at ESP- the same time is on demand. ESPN plus is like uh, hockey games MLS games, some like some European soccer, but not the Premier League. So it's all the it's it's the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth biggest sports in the states. Exactly, and, and 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 you can um like for for the majors, they had like alternate feeds or like the featured groups were on ESPN Plus and stuff like that. Yeah, the the golf coverage on ESPN Plus has been really good. I get good. It. I yeah. I get it, but we don't have ESPN Plus here. We have to do internationally. Those same feeds are on golf TV. So I have the golf TV subscription. I find it quite good. I wish golf TV had a TV app though. That's the one drawback to it that I have to open it. Um, like, cause you, I show, I think I showed you the setup that I have at my office. I have eight TVs on the wall, right? So I have to open up different tabs with the different streams and then mirror them to the TVs, which is good. I mean, it's not the most difficult and challenging thing in the world to do. It would just be easier if the app was on the TV and I could just press it. Right. Yeah. So, but, but, I act like the TV I want to watch the most where, where like, I guess maybe not even watch the most, but I would pay up to like $20 a month for this would be Disney plus because they have all the star Wars shit. And that's what I, that's what I really want is I want to have acts. I could live without being able to rewatch X-Files for the third time or, or uh, you know, not watching Bob's burgers or whatever, but like I, I, I don't need, but I really want to watch the star Wars stuff that comes out. What's your favorite episode of X-Files? I mean, I, I don't even, I, I just watched one that is, it's, it's such a deep cut. Uh, it's called Hollywood AD. It's a seventh season episode. Duchovny wrote and directed it. And it's like this meta commentary about, it's a TV show about inside the show there is a movie producer making a movie about Mulder and Scully and it's, it's hilarious. And the, the, the case that they're solving in it is like uh, really interesting as well. I don't know if that's my, I'd have to think more about it. Like, I don't think I have one off the top of my head, but that one was really good. 
it's funny because you think X-Files, you think like, you know, the darkness and the, right. the, the smoking man, aliens. I've always found their best episodes are their humor episodes, or at least the lighthearted ones. Like my favorite X-Files episodes, an episode, I think it's season two. It's called Junebug. The one where they go to the Kearney. Uh, oh, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's so bizarre. And it's so funny. And it's a good story too. Like it's a good mystery at the same time. And it's just such a weird episode compared like they're all weird episodes but this one like the tone of it is so much different than everything else and it's legitimately hilarious um and i mean duchovny and jillian anderson are just such good performers i mean they just they're like that without with with someone else cast in those roles i'm not even certain it's that good of a show but those two are just like super good basically Chris Cooper and, and even like Vince Gilligan at that point, like the writing staff and the leeway that they oh, were. Oh, Vince given. Gilligan. Yeah. I mean, maybe it wasn't like his brainchild, obviously, but he was just, you know, one of the more influential voices behind the scenes. What's the, what is the episode? I think Vince Gilligan actually wrote it. I think it's fourth season. The guy who could make you kill someone. I think it was called Pusher. That's a really good episode. There was uh, I, I, it's funny. I was just rewatching. I've been rewatching it. There, I, there's a random fifth season episode where Brian Cranston, like pre-fame, is the antagonist. Is it he, pre-fame though? Because he's, he's must be doing Malcolm in the Middle on Fox at that point too. I think this is before because this is early '90s. Now we got. I mean, we got to look it up. Now. No, X Files isn't early '90s though. X Files started in what '93. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look up his, uh, I'm gonna look up his filmography and see. Did, did when you it was. watch? Yeah, no, September 10th, 1993 is the first episode. So if it's fifth season, it's gotta be like '98. Yeah uh x files he was uh, yeah 98 you're right wow look at that encyclopedic knowledge from from pat mail yeah you're right it was it was not pre-fame i just assumed Let's see brian cranston when, when when did malcolm in the middle run when did that start like 97 2000 okay so it was pre-malcolm pre- in the middle. that yeah. started in 2000 seriously yeah yeah wow so really yeah. everything the only thing brian cranston had been at that point was being the dentist on seinfeld Dr. Tim Watley. Yeah. Why I mean, isn't, why didn't Seinfeld get, because I see this happening more and more. You know, we talked about like the office and friends have really established themselves as like the sitcoms from like both like the mid nineties and early nineties. Yeah. In terms of what is popular now amongst people who didn't live through that time, which I just find is really odd. I mean, the office is great. I like to rewatch them all. And I've re- gone back and rewatched them all. The office is, fine it's still really funny obviously i don't want to sound like an office hater because i love the office but the first like three seasons of 30 rock are just way funnier way better and parks and rec start to finish is a better show uh well the 30 rock is a little too smart i think probably to be to be you know super super mass consumed and i agree with you though parks and rec is is probably a better show for that type of network sitcom like the first I mean, I really, I will stand by that the first, I mean, you can even call it the first three seasons. If we just take like two seasons, the first two seasons of Arrested Development might oh, yeah. be the funniest two seasons of any show ever. I think you're, I think you're probably right. I mean, it's, it, it really does just come down to the fact that the office is so easily digestible, you know, Agreed. and, and, and those, like it became so mimetic too, where it's like, you barely even have to be paying attention and you forget you know, which episode, which joke is in and things like that. Like that really is why the office, it, the, it is 
it was just so perfect for for internet culture like it really streaming happened at the exact right time for the office to be appreciated i think but why did friends hit and seinfeld didn't was it was seinfeld not available was that the thing i no i think seinfeld was on was on netflix here i mean i i think that um seinfeld might be like 290s of a show you know what i mean but but friends isn't I, well, I don't really like Friends. I mean, Friends is fine. That that's I see. That's where I'm at. I, I don't think the Friends is a bad show. Like I'll turn yeah. on, like we'll turn on Friends, have it on in the background. But like I will still sit down and watch episodes of Seinfeld. Yeah, it, which I is and I didn't watch Friends growing up, but I did watch Seinfeld growing up. My parents, my parents watched Seinfeld, and so I think that I just like it more because I. Same thing with X-Files too. Like X-Files is nostalgic for me because my dad loved the X-Files and we would watch it together. So I think it's like how much you remember things from when you were a kid, really. Maybe, but like I would contend, I don't know if it's a better show, but Frasier is held up better than all of those shows because the simple fact, like it's still like 90s because you don't have modern technology, but the joke was always how out of touch that they were anyway. And that has really helped the show live in a weird way. Yeah, I haven't. I I have I've seen Frasier, but I you haven't. Should, like, honest to God, go watch Frasier. It is fucking hilarious. I, I'd have to figure out what. I mean, what streaming service is it, is it even on in the United I know, States? It's an, it was an NBC show, so I assume Peacock. Peacock, yeah. Which I which I do have. Uh, I, yeah. Just go, go watch the like. There are some. It's a way different. Like to compare compare and contrast, like Frasier and Friends. It's crazy. I think they were on on the same night as well, which is kind of crazy to think about. But there's the reason that like Frazier and Kelsey Grammer and everyone on that show won every Emmy that there was in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I won't say I won't I won't commit to it, but I won't say I won't. I, I have not watched these um, new seasons of the X-Files like the when they came back. So I I'm, I'm going to I'm going to work up to that. I've heard they're quite bad. I watched the first six episodes. I think it was a six episode run when it first came back and it was bad. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's supposed to be particularly good, but the, what, what's so, so Canadian power rankings for streaming services. What is, what is yours? It's probably Disney plus right now. Disney plus is really good. It has a lot of good stuff because it has all of that stuff in one plus other stuff at the same time. Uh, so it has Hulu plus Disney plus plus other just properties that they have acquired through the Canadian streaming. So Disney Plus, then probably Crave. They're probably one, two. Then it's like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Paramount Plus. Netflix is probably a bit above them. We watch more Netflix than anything because Coco Melon is on. Do you have Netflix. do you have uh do you have HBO Max in Canada? That that's Crave. That's Crave. Okay. But yeah. So like, Crave I is use, like Crave I use is that HBO to Max. Watch yeah. HBO Max, Showtime. HBO Max, Showtime plus other properties as well from all of the ones like it has paramount plus shows it has netflix shows it has disney plus shows from the states but they've acquired the rights to it so you guys have a good deal in canada yes and no but you end up subscribing to them all and it's like 150 bucks a month (laughs) yeah it is and you still have to get someone's cable login to watch sports yes yeah well which is which is what i've done I, i i pay for most of the streaming services uh, but I have, uh, I have a, not my cable login to watch some of the sports. I, I have cable essentially just for sports. There's just not really I, any other reason to have it. Cause I, I don't want to watch for, cause it's me. I don't want to watch sports on a 33 second delay or whatever it is. I want to yeah. watch it on a seven second delay. <laughs> 
Um, is there, what do you think was the last monoculture media entertainment thing in Western society? Probably Game of Thrones. That's Trump, what I, no, the, the answer is Trump. <laughs> well, yeah, but that doesn't count. I mean, it does. It should, it should count. You would be surprised. I was thinking about this today because I didn't know what you were going to ask me about U.S. politics, but I don't even pay attention to it's not really it's all it's just it's too depressing it's all but, bad here but like i at least and it's not entertaining anymore but that was the thing that's why i would i would label trump under under entertainment because we're just like what's he up to today let's check it out yeah I, i'm either so, gonna i'm either gonna be a person who loves it or is like triggered about it there's no in between with it it was hard to be a casual observer of what was going on i'm not saying that i missed that but that was something that everyone paid attention to no, I think you're, I think you are, I think you are probably right. I mean, for, for media, it was, so I was not a part of that. I did not watch the final three seasons of Game of Thrones. Um, so I missed out. I missed out on, on that. But yeah, it's like, it feels like, and I guess the, maybe or do the Marvel movies count? I mean, it feels like that is the dominant thing in media now. Yes and no, I would say, because I think it's the, I, I can't, I can probably count on one hand the amount of Marvel movies that I've seen. Not that yeah, I've, dis- I've seen like, I've seen like six or seven of them, but once you miss one, you can't dive back in. You got to go back and watch. And I missed one and that was it. Yeah. I went and saw the Spider-Man that I, I enjoyed that. I thought that was good, but I, unless there's something that really stands out to me that I really want to go see, it feels like it's the same people going to these movies over and over. Like, I don't know how big of the pop, like obviously they do huge business so people are going, right? but I don't think that doing now inflation would adjust for this as well, but a $200 million movie, like a Marvel movie, I don't think is the same as a $200 million when iRobot came out in like 2004 or something like that. It felt like more people saw iRobot at that time. Now, like the Avengers has like 600 million. So it's same as Star Wars. Like there are certain things that people are going to go out of their way to watch and it's going to do huge business. But it feels like that's more of a subculture instead of a monoculture. It's just a really big subculture. A really big subculture. Yeah. Which And it's, uh, I mean, I feel like the Star Wars, I mean, they're trying to make the new Star Wars stuff into the new Marvel uh, and I just, I mean, uh, maybe this Kenobi show does it a little bit. I mean, Baby Yoda was pretty monoculture. Like that was everywhere for two months. Yeah, it was, but it was only capital. Like I never watched Mandalorian, but I but heard you about just, Baby You just saw the memes. I just saw the memes. I heard about Baby Yoda, but that's only monoculture because Star Wars was monoculture for fucking 40 years. Yeah, that, I mean that's that's the only reason these shows are being made. You're right, which is that which is that uh, the specifically the first three Star Wars movies were so embedded in the generation of people who are having kids now, basically or, or grandkids. Shit, I guess. Yeah. So if it wasn't because of that, I wouldn't like it. Would uh, maybe the memes would still be? I mean, there wouldn't be memes about it. There just wouldn't like that show wouldn't be popular. There aren't really, I mean, is there anything from the, the three original movies that is super memed? Like, not really. Like, everyone knows the, you know, I am your father scene. I, I feel like there are, there are Emperor Return of the Jedi memes. I mean, the, the, the prequels are very heavily memed. Like, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah. like Hayden Christensen face and Natalie Port. Like, that one scene is like the memed one. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a, there is a, there's a lot from the prequels, which is, which is kind of funny because there's kind of like a renaissance of appreciation for those films now as people just have nostalgia for them because they came out 15 years ago. 
which 15 is, years ago. They came out, I believe they came out in 1997. I think the, the last one came out 15 years ago. Yeah, when did when did Phantom Menace? I, I feel like I skipped a day of junior high to go stand in line to get tickets to that. Revenge of the Sith came out in 2005. So 17 years ago. 1999 right? was Phantom Menace. So 20, what's 22? 23 years ago. Yeah, don't ask me to do that math. That was the first one. That was the first one I, I went to go see in theaters. Well, I, I would have been they like re-released. Seven. They re-released all of the previous three right before that back into theaters i had seen them before but that was the first time i had seen them in theaters so i went to go see a new hope uh, empire strikes back and return of the jedi in theaters before going to see this it was a good role it was smart yeah uh, which is i i don't know i just find the like the, the the interaction like how the internet has changed our lives like people obviously like realize it but it, it we're so interconnected but disconnected at the same time i i've actually i wanted to ask you this question this was another thing on my list so obviously you know it's like it's uh you log on twitter and something terrible has happened somewhere in the world right could could be in the united states we could have another school shooting could be you know the uh the the massacre of the transient muslim population in china could be you read something horrible about global warming so my question to you is do you think we actually are living in this horrible time of social upheaval and, and injustice and uh, it's at a really unique time in world history? Or do you think things have generally always been pretty bad, but we're just so hyper aware of it because of Twitter? I would say it would be the latter. Like I, I would have my doubts that the savagery of 2022 is worse than the savagery of 1822. I just have right. a hard time believing that. It's just, we know what is going on now. We're like, imagine if social media, like think about how much just live television coverage. I mean, this is what I did my degree on. So I'm pretty well-versed in this because I didn't live through it. But how much media changed the perception of the Vietnam War? The first one that was ever covered really on TV, yeah. although it wasn't like the Gulf War where there was like live from the scene, you got yeah. to see what was going on in Vietnam. And that really turned public perception around on it. What if social media existed in World War II? Like the Germans may have won. I mean, people, uh, I've, I've talked to, to you about hardcore history before, right? I'm sure you've no. never listened. Uh, hardcore, it's the best podcast ever. Uh, no, Pat Mayo Experience. People should Pat, go uh, okay. listen to Second, that. I've heard that's the best podcast ever. Second best podcast ever behind the Pat Mayo Experience. Um, but it's like, uh, it's a history podcast. And my favorite series he ever did was on World War One, And he talks about that just in terms of newspaper coverage of World War One, and And then guys coming home. Once people started to come home from the war or when they started writing letters home, that really changed the perception of... Because, you know, war used to be like sport for these countries, kind of, right? Like you would, you would go to war and there would be gallant wars. And, you know, they, but World War I was like the worst war that's ever been. I mean, it was horrible for everyone involved on every side. And it was in, in, terms, uh, in terms of like percentage of the population that died, it's the most bloody war they'll ever be fought probably until nukes start going. And that realization, you know, made ch- change decision-making from the very top, right? Public perception of things and and now that would be happening instantaneously right guys would have their cell phones in the bunker and they'd be like this fucking sucks you know like i'm sleeping in piss like it 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 really like it um it's just it it, that is an interesting thought experiment is to think about you know how having cell phones would have changed any of this stuff 
it's hard to project our technology back on a time because so much of the culture and decision-making is influenced by these things at the same time as well. Right. So it's not like the same decisions and the same outcomes were going to be had because, I mean, if you have cell phone technology and the internet in 1914, like the same shit doesn't happen. Like, you know, right. Archduke, Archduke Ferdinand might not uh, get offed. So, you know, he might see, he might get a text message be like, Hey, you might want to duck in this room here. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So I, I spend a lot of my time trying to convince myself that the latter answer is correct, that things are actually not that bad and that human history, I mean, really, uh, human history is like kind of a story of, of productive struggle, really. Um, which is at least that's what I want to think. Right. Cause it's, it's too depressing to think the other way right it's 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 very depressing to think like oh we're in this horrible time yeah but you just want to be you just want to be the main character of history that's why you think that why now now has to be just the worst time ever to be alive when in reality it's probably the best time to ever be alive you see and i don't yeah so you hear that argument too and i mean one that's definitely got to be colored by the perception of like who you are right like uh, being a white guy versus being like a black man or, or a well, woman let, or let me whatever. Ask, let me ask you this. And I, I don't want to make this like a, it is a dead serious point. Not that things are great by any means, but being a black guy in 2022, well, not easy. I'm sure it's probably a lot easier than being a black guy in 1920. Right. So I, and so I think that definitely colors the discussion, right? Things are certainly not as equal and as just as we would want them. But I mean, I think a pretty reasonable argument could be made that this is the the most just period. And fuck, I don't know. I mean, maybe ancient Babylon had it figured out or whatever, you know? It's a really difficult way to frame that argument too. And it's a very difficult, like to use the proper term when trying to describe what you mean by that. Sure. Um, But I mean, I get what you're saying. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But like everyone, like the, the tide has been lifted for people of earth, put it that way. That just living conditions, although not great for everyone, obviously, are substantially better than they were 50 years ago and 100 years ago and 200 years ago when people were dying of dysentery on the streets. Right. It's also actually it's, there were no streets. They were just dying. There were just there were just it was just piss and shit is was the street, basically. Um, and also, I think, you know, I, I do think part of it is colored by all the Bitcoin weirdos that I follow because of how uh, of inflation and stuff right like the markets are just it it does feel like a very weird time in modern western history in terms of money like it, it feels like no one has the answer and different people have different ideas for the solutions and they all seem bad well i guess the other thing too and part of the reason why people think oh there's there's as much injustice now is the worst time to ever be alive but beyond like the atrocities that happen which have consistently happened i mean they're different atrocities than they were 100 and 200 years ago but shit's not new by any means uh, in terms of shitty things happening all across the world but the amount of like people like had this really reverence for like the fifties and sixties in terms of like middle-class home ownership. You didn't have to go to college. You could still get a great job. Da, 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 da. Yeah, just think about how many people there's people that are not well off and the middle-class is evaporating, but you see so many more people and social media is a, you know, it's a culprit of this, but how many more people just have money? Like you, all these Bitcoin people about like, oh yeah, like inflation. I got the answer to this. But if they bought like five Bitcoin 
four and a half years ago. They probably have enough money for life, even with a downturn. Like they're right. fine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a problem for them. Yeah. That, so that's true. And it's um, the, the point that a lot of, and I don't agree with this uh, fully. And there are a lot, I mean, this is, this is not the time or place for a deep economic discussion, but uh, the, the point that these people make is that people shouldn't have to invest to save their money that that it's like there's this big financial crime that that people should even have to speculate that that their money should just be worth what it's worth i no i disagree with this i i don't think that's true um and there are a lot of different like there are a lot of complex economic reasons for that to be true um but it does feel and i talked about this with brian a couple weeks ago who by the way you guys would have a blast uh chatting chatting you you and brian would would get along um but like, I, I do think that Pete is the better foil. I really enjoyed that episode. Oh, Pete is a great foil for us because he, yeah, he, he was very, people, people seem to respond well to that. But the, the, the point that Brian and I were both making actually was like, what, what do you want people to do with their money right now? Like it, just a normal person who makes a normal, you know, blue collar, middle, lower middle-class wage. Now you say that, can you define that for me? Because I think everyone's perception of those terms, average, normal, sure. wildly say, fluctuate. Let's say 45 to 60,000 US dollars a year. And where do you live? In the, mid, in the Midwest, right? Not, not where, like, if you made that in New York or Los Angeles, you know. You'd be, you'd be you'd, like on the lower rung, like you'd be basically poor. Yeah. So let's or at say, least re- you, you wouldn't be home poor. You would be rent poor, basically. Right. So let's, yeah, let's just say somewhere, somewhere like a lower, lower third cost of living United States. I actually have no idea. Yeah. It's fucked. Like that's, that's, no, like, really I, I don't fucked. know what to, like. I, I spend money on stuff that I want to spend money on, but I don't spend a lot of money at the same time. Like, I don't know. Well, I, you and I, you and I both are kind of like that, but I more mean, I more like, I know what I want to do with my money. Cause I, I say, I, I save or invest most of my, um, extra money, but it's like, uh, a lot of people don't, or, or a lot of people would, would maybe not even know what to do with like, you know, if they had an extra 20% of their income that was not accounted for in like expenses or whatever. Uh, and, and, and also I, I think we've talked about this before, just like financial literacy, like no one, no one even really t- tells you about this stuff in high school or college that like your money, the value of your money is going to evaporate unless you do something with it. Yeah. Putting it in a mattress or putting it in the basement probably isn't the, uh, in a jar hidden behind a furnace maybe is not, unless, you know, it's illegal money. And then, you know, even if you take a bit of a depreciation on inflation, you know, the government doesn't know about it. So you're saving that in taxes if you're a criminal. So I get right. that part. Yeah, I get that. But it's just like, it, it feels, it feels unfair that, you know, the markets, the markets are just, uh, I mean, and they're all probably going to rebound or whatever, but it's like, if you were wanting to retire right now, I mean, it would just feel, it would just feel so impossible on, on something approximating like a middle of the road wage. How much money lump sum in cash do you think it would take to retire right now? How long, how long do I think I'm going to live? Let's say you're going to live till you're 85. And I'm like, what, 65 retirement age? No, I mean, today, let's say you're, let's say you're 35 and you're not 35. You're 35. You have 50 more years to go. What's a lump sum of money that you would need today that you could invest and do whatever with that you would need that you think you could actually retire and live the life that you wanted to live? Like 10 million. Really? It's that high. 
for 50 years and i'm yeah. assuming i'm assuming the inflation rate is is going to go down but is going to continue to be poor well i mean you could put it in pretty i mean people playing the market are trying to get max return on everything right yeah so you could put it into lower risk type things and get like four or five percent of your money a year right pretty what's, safe. what's what's five percent of five million five percent of five million is what two hundred thousand dollars two hundred and fifty thousand dollars so you could you couldn't live off is my thousand dollars a year is my partner retired too i don't know do you have your like your wife or something yeah i'm about to yeah so i'm thinking of myself like i'm about to get married all right and, so yeah and, so pro- and i don't even have any kids yet so the two of you couldn't live off two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year no, with a nest egg of five million in the yeah, bank. Yeah, that's that is that is insanely manageable. For I now, so. for now, for two hundred fifty thousand dollars, I mean that's great, right? Two hundred fifty thousand dollars is is your, especially in my neck of the woods, you're living very well. So maybe it's not as high as you would think. But but I'm assuming that I'm assuming that that the value of those dollars is going to continue to depreciate. Sure, but it's not like you would only have money in that one thing. You right, but, but but ask someone 50 years ago how much money they would have said, right? And they would have been like, boy, gee, gee, howdy, you know, like some 1950s shit. And they would have been like, $500,000 is fine. And they'd be fucked. No, they, but they wouldn't be because if they had it in proper investments, it would have sure it would be worth yeah. like their five hundred thousand dollars invested in nineteen fifty seven be worth like thirty million dollars today. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it's it's but but um, yeah, five like so so like three to five million for me to for me to 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 stop generating income other than what that money would yield. Interesting. So the yeah, answer I, is I, the answer is I'm never retiring. Basically, well, that, that, well, that was kind of the kind of the, the roundabout way of saying because I was thinking about that the other day. It's like, what would I? How much money would I need to have? I was like, more than I'll ever have. More so than I'll ever have. Yeah, it's really every time I've ever thought about this is it's more money than I'll ever have to put away. So there's literally no point. Is the real estate market where you're at insane right now, or is it like okay? No, it's starting. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, I bid on ten houses before I got one. But it's starting to go the other way because interest rates are. Uh, uh, how do interest? What are what are interest rates like in Canada? They're getting bad here. They're up. To, they're like five percent. I saw. Oh my god! I saw a Wall Street Journal article the other day that people are starting to take adjustable rate mortgages again. I, I, I mean, that's exactly what I would do right now if I was to get into the market. I would most definitely take an adjustable rate over five years. That would be the smartest isn't, thing. Isn't would be the smartest get- thing to do right now? Doesn't it just open you up to getting fucked so hard, though, that it's not like the tail risk is so not worth it? No, because it it works the opposite way right now, because this probably isn't necessarily the peak of interest rates, I would guess, from the bank, but it's probably pretty close over the next Gotta be close, yeah. So, I mean, unless we go back up to like the 1980s, like 13% shit, which I don't think is necessarily going to happen, but you'd be stress tested against that anyway. But the reason to buy the variable rate, I would think, at least in my opinion right now, because I was thinking about doing it, would be that the only people that would be, unless if I was a first time home buyer, I don't know, because I think the risk is different in something like that. Anything I would buy right now would be an investment property. So it would mean that I could technically afford to do it. I wouldn't be like all my money going into this one thing because I'm buying it as an investment, like two other people that, you know, if I can get myself a variable rate, because variable variable rates are inherently lower anyway. If you're going to get a fixed five-year rate or a fixed whatever rate, they're just, it's built in that it's going to be higher because you get that safety of it being that number for ages. Like uh, I bought a house last year 
actually I, I bought my house that we live in now and I bought the studio house when I built the studio in the house. And I think that we got 1.82% on a five-year fixed for our place and for the studio where it was corporate and corporate mortgages were still like 3% of the time. And I still got like a 2.5 on a fixed five-year rate. So now if that was like 7% or 8%, then I would want to lock in the variable because I think it would go back down to like 3% again in two years. So I'd be paying way less money. It's a gamble. I mean, what profession are we in here? We're in gambling. Yeah, it's, I mean, and, and part of that is um, just so, like the, the 2008 housing crash was so much in the news and so much a part of like learning about the greater world of finance for people specifically my age that like the number one thing that's been drilled into our heads is don't take an adjustable rate mortgage because you can just get so burnt on the back end. Oh, you most definitely can. And like I, I, everything that I've done, like I didn't have to do it to this because it was the five year, like it's a fixed rate. But if I was going to do a variable, I'd probably say I want to be stress tested up to 15% over the term of this. And if I can't afford it, then I can't buy it just in case something like that happens. But that's, it makes me a more timid investor because I want to have all of those outs. But at the same time, you can always sell the place too and get your money back on it because yeah. stuff isn't really going down at the moment. Stuff is just sort of stabilizing at where I am at the moment, at least. I think that's generally what's happening in the United States right now, but they like interest rates can crank higher too. And it's also, it's also all messed up in the United States because private equity firms are buying houses to store money and, uh, Chinese businessmen are buying houses in the United States and you're just leaving them because they just want to park their money somewhere that's not in China. It's all it's all messed up. Yeah, that, that was a big thing like in Vancouver and Toronto and why those housing markets exploded, according to people. But yeah, they went and did the research, especially in Toronto. It's like, well, the only reason the prices are high is because people from China are coming and buying these condo buildings and leaving them empty. And it turned out like 0.002% of all condos were owned by people in China. It's like, that's just something people say because they can't afford it. Yeah, no, you're that that it, that definitely uh, that definitely feels correct. Like yeah. that—that's a good boogeyman to blame for yeah. everything. Not, you know, with real estate, there's always fucking so much of it. Like, right. And unless they do make a commitment to making affordable housing, then if I'm a developer and I'm going into business without a mandate from like government funding to say, hey, recoup my costs on this because I need to make affordable housing for people. Why wouldn't I try to sell it for as much as possible? Yeah. Uh, Jeff, did you have anything for me? No, I did go to Europe for two weeks. That was fun. Yeah. What was, what was, what was that like? What was your, what was your experience like over there? It was nice. It was the first time my wife and I had been away since before our first child was born. So it had been three and a half years or four years, really, because we didn't go away when she was pregnant without kids for like that long basically since our honeymoon in 2017, so five years, really. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, got to see a part of the world I've never seen before. That's always interesting to do. And got to relax. Although the one thing is I always try to, like, we try to pack too much into what we're doing sure. when we're there. It's like, oh, we're here. We need to go do this and we need to go do that. And honestly, the best day that we had was the last day that we were in Nice and just went to the hotel, like rooftop patio with the pool and just fucking hung out and drank champagne for like six hours pretty like, i mean that's that's the best part of vacation right it was but i was looking at my my pedometer i was like oh yeah you're getting in twenty two thousand steps a day like we were just constantly on the go like we were going to see this and we're going to eat at this place and we're going to go eat at that place and we went to monaco for 
like one of the days. That was actually pretty fun. Took an Uber to Monaco. That's uh, Monaco is, uh, I mean, I, most of the stories I know about Monaco are from like poker players talking about it. So, but uh, I mean, is it as, is it as fancy as they say? It's the cleanest place I've ever been in my life. Yeah. I and mean, they I were can, setting up I for the grand, that they were setting oh, up the grand the, prix yeah. yeah they were setting up the grand prix when i was there obviously it just happened but so it was like three weeks before the grand prix had gone so we got to walk the track that was neat to go see uh the residents it's funny like most major sporting events anywhere the residents of monaco like they enjoyed the prestige of the monaco grand prix but they really didn't seem to enjoy having it they're like everything's fucking shut down <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I no one no one likes a big happening like that happening in their city because it messes you it messes all your stuff up. Yeah, but yeah. it was funny to see like there we we did go to like the main square and I did like a three sixty view of it and it was like the most expensive stores in the world were all in that square and then like you'd have to go three squares down three blocks down to get to like the Rolex store because that just wasn't good enough. Right um did you did uh did you have any unpleasant interactions with anyone thinking you were an american no yeah i i mean it's it, again i i've never been so but that that is one of the things that people say right is that I, is that if is that people will be rude to americans i've never really encountered that ever and i think it's pretty easy to mistake me for an american although i speak enough passable french that maybe that was the the clue that i was an american yeah that's that's I can I can speak really dog shit French, so maybe that'll save me when I, I mean if I, I feel ever like make I speak I feel like I speak je parle the dog shit français. I can't imagine what yours is like. <laughs> it's really bad. I mean, I took I took four semesters of French in college, but I never I never got the handle on the accenting really. So I really do just sound like an American saying French words. I think it's a lot like it seemed like it was a lot like Quebec to me that if you just make like any sort of effort. Mo like it's, 90 percent yeah. of people spoke english where we like nice is a pretty touristy town yeah so it did seem it was like when we were anywhere in europe that we've gone that everyone just speaks english <laughs> right yeah uh all right dude let's uh let's get out of here let's wrap it up nice nice and tight i think we're we're gonna go do some some best ball chatter over on on your channel I mean, you know what? We can scrap that. We can do that next week sometime. I'm not even too concerned about that. What I'm concerned about, really, is my scheduling right now. You know, I'll, I'll, I mean, if people are listening to this deep into the show on mine or your show, I'll let you behind, behind the scenes a little bit. Let's do it. So, so I'm only contracted to do four shows per week, and that's not including vacation. Yeah. I haven't taken a vacation in two years, technically, because I had new shows come out every day while I was gone. So as long as I'm doing my work, I'm fine and covered for the days. And I think I can jam in all my work into like record my research golf show on Sunday, record double on Monday, record double on Wednesday and just be done for the week. <laughs> Sounds pretty amazing. Until football season starts, then I work seven days a week. That's why I'm kind of planning on doing this. Like if I'm, I'm not obligated to work as much in football as i do but i think it's necessary for the product that i want to put out right i put that pressure on myself in order to do that because i think it's important for the quality of the show the quality of the information i want to be days behind but what i'm thinking about doing is actually getting rid of my DraftKings golf show i don't i don't think people would like that very much well what what happens right now is i do my research show on sunday the pick show with feinberg on monday the DraftKings pick show on Tuesday, but then I've started to do like Tambo uh, moved like 10 minutes from me. So we do the live chat show on Wednesday. Yeah. In the studio together. 
And people just like, anytime you can have someone in the studio with you, it's inherently a better show. Unless they're the shittiest guest of all time. So it's like yes. the same show as the Tuesday show now. <laughs> I mean, you guys could just do that on Tuesday and just it just could be you and Tambo. We could, but the information is better to do on Wednesday. Like the ownership percentages, like stuff, like we have a good idea, the weather, we have a good idea of everything like that. Like the information is better on Wednesday than it is on Tuesday for what we're talking about. So now that football's back, what I was thinking about doing was going golf research, golf betting, football on Tuesday, the, that golf show, the DraftKings picture golf show and live chat, just combine them all into one, do that on like Wednesday mornings. So people still have the entire day to do whatever and watch the show and then do football on Thursdays. And that way I can do the live golf show and then film the next day's football show for the next day because stuff isn't really going out of date during football for the next two and a half months, like on a weekly basis. Yes, that's true. I mean, I, I guess I would say as a longtime listener of the Tuesday golf show, I don't listen to it every week, but like I, I listen to it some weeks. That's that I, I listen to the, I choose that one over the Feinberg pick show for me. Really? Because I don't, I just bet data golf's numbers for golf mostly. Yeah, that sounds so I, that sounds real lame, but yeah, the way. It, it it is. I mean, it's not, it's like I'm just grinding like very small uh market edges and not not having but, that but much. But why fun. are you're not a professional better? What the fuck do you care about that? Well, you want to be grinding top 20s from the back of the field? Like, give me a break. I don't I don't like to I don't like to lose. That's kind of what I don't I just really don't enjoy losing in life. It, it really tilts me like when I go like I'm on a bad DFS downswing right now. Like I'm down like I'm down like five thousand dollars in like the last month. And I'm like, it's like tilting me like I am. I am tilting playing. I am on the best run outside of like the big, I, I've won like three showdown contests. I've uh, top five in a couple USFL has been a fucking printing press for me. Justin's yeah. Justin's projections at run. Like Justin has won. I Justin won F one on like this weekend and he won the big USFL contest. Like his projections are absolutely smashing that like 89 bucks for the USFL season at run. The Sims has like, 50 X for most people. Yes. Yeah. I mean, then, which is generally true in niche sport content. If someone's projections are really good and the entire field is not using them, uh, generally you're going to do quite well. So I think Justin's getting to work now on NASCAR. Like he has the F1 projections. They're free up at run the Sims because we don't have tools for it yet. Yeah. But I think we're going to get NASCAR MMA. Cause I told him, I was like, listen, we can like, we have NFL. We can compete. Our projections are as good as anyone's for NFL. Our tools are as good as anyone's. But that's a pretty, at this point in time for DFS, like we're going to get new subs and people are going to jump around and some people have all of the subs so they can compare and contrast. But it's not like that market is, the market's pretty saturated. It's not oversaturated, but it's pretty saturated. Pretty saturated. Yeah. At this point, I was like, just take the, like for Fantasy National, yes, we were first to the scene for golf with a lot of this stuff. And that's been the reason for a lot of the success of that site, but golf is still even now pretty niche. There's so many new sites and everything in golf, just popping in, trying to get a piece of that market. But it's like, why don't we just try to attack every niche sport there is? And maybe we'll become the fantasy national of MMA or something like that at run the Sims. Then all of a sudden it's a printing press. I mean, it's a, like that, that is a, I think very similar to the strategy of playing. Like it would be way better to be the best. F1 player versus being the best NFL player 
Like, I think the same thing would be true content wise or projections wise. Content. I mean, we see that with the Dogger Pass podcast with Cody and Paul on Mayo Media Network. Like they, I mean, their MMA show is just fucking huge. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is, uh, yeah. Like that's pretty, I, that's just kind of a, a content thing in general. It's, it's better to be the best. It's better to be a big fish in a small pond uh, than the, the absolute biggest fish in the ocean. Yes. Yeah. I don't know because like I, the numbers kind of dictate this. I look at the video views. I look at the podcast views. Like it's funny that people think of me as like the golf guy now. Right. Yeah. But I get more viewers and listeners for football. <laughs> because more people, like more football. people play NFL DFS and, and bet NFL games. Yeah. Yeah. But technically more people know me for football, <laughs> but the people who care know me for golf. Right. That, and, and, and that has worked out well for you, like career wise, like contract negotiating and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like the, the, the leverage I, although the business I can bring for football is big because I have so many viewers and listeners for football, that golf audience is like, Oh, you can like, you can really swing like a, a golf, whatever for this. Like when I was talking to FanDuel uh, before re-signing with DraftKings, my pitch to them was like, Hey, do you want to have more market share of golf? like take away from DraftKings for your DFS product because I can probably convert people over that may have FanDuel accounts, but just aren't playing on FanDuel because they play in my contest, for example, on DraftKings every single week. And I thought that was a pretty valid selling point. And that was a part of me going in to FanDuel and being like, here are the estimated amount of people that I would bring over to play like full-time on FanDuel or at least more on FanDuel than they're currently playing. And I had those numbers uh, affixed to a price per person per year. And that's essentially how I came up with what I asked for, for salary. Which is, uh, so exactly what I'm saying. It, 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 ser- it served you well. It, it has. And then I went back to DraftKings. I was like, if you match this number, I'll stay with you because I don't want to work for fucking FanDuel. <laughs> right, exactly. Which they is, said, okay. Uh, yeah, they were like, all right, we got you. Yeah. It was like, perfect, good negotiation everything off and only i only worked without a contract for seven months on good faith <laughs> he's just he's a business superstar folks that's how yeah, he does it I, I i need to my put it this way my my lawyer at the time he stopped uh having a good lawyer is so huge i never realized that until i married a lawyer and she was like yeah you should really use a lawyer for a lot of this stuff just to make sure you don't get fucked and i i hired my first guy before doing my first DraftKings deal uh, which was, I think I was doing the negotiation in 2016, signed in 2017, like, like a personal lawyer for me, just for like negotiation, like over, looking over everything. Cause I'm like, I'm a smart guy. I can figure this out. Turns out I'm right. a fucking moron. And I, I just, I can't read anything in legalese. I get the first sentence. I'm like, oh, just, I'd rather sign it than read it. I don't care what it says. Uh, so just having someone to actually read what is in there has really served me well. But I ended up with, Actually, a guy that my wife went to law school with, he was like my lawyer. He was by like he had left whatever firm he was at to do his own practice. I think I was his biggest client. And I had him for like four years. So when I did my second DraftKings deal, when we started the Fantasy National stuff, uh, when I started FTN with those guys, like he was involved with all of that, made life so much easier for me. And then he was just like, yeah, I'm not doing this stuff anymore. I'm getting into magic mushroom law. And like opening up these dispensaries, I was like, that sounds way more profitable. So I can't burn you for it. But he was the best. Like if I had a question anytime, I would just text him and be like, yo, I, I need help. Like I got stuff coming up over like the next three weeks. That's like urgent. Cause I would yeah. really only have stuff maybe 
once every eight months, but right. it needed to be done right away. Now I have like, I'm at a firm and I don't know, they're not very, they're not very good. I, I'm, I'm in the market for a new lawyer and I need someone to be personally catered to me, uh, someone I can talk to when I need them. And I won't bother you very often. <laughs> so if anyone has a, if anyone listening to this as a lawyer and wants to shill Pat on your services, you know where to find him? Well, I think a lot of that is covered like when you have an agent. Do you have an agent? No. I don't think a lot of people in our space do. Like I'm friendly with, well, a few agents, but I don't have them like hip pocketing. I mean, actually they are hip pocketing me right now. Like they do bring me work and don't ask for anything in between. I think it's sort of softening up that I might come on and sign with them in the future. But I don't know if it's a good idea or a bad idea. It obviously seems like a good idea because so many, like all the people who make the most money in entertainment all have agents. Now, is it a convenience thing that they handle the management, the lawyers, all that stuff for them? Or is it like, hey, these agents just know more people. Like I only know so many people. Like if I wanted to like go get into a bidding war right now, I'll say my my contract is up, which it is not. Love working with DraftKings. But let's say it was tomorrow and I wanted more money from DraftKings. They were like, oh, fuck off. Right. I'd be like, okay, well, I can go to FanDuel. I do know people there, so I can go contact them. But like, I don't know anyone fucking bet MGM or Bollies or any of those. Like, I'd really have to do the, the legwork to find out who to talk to, the right people to talk to at those places where I feel like an agent just knows those people. That is, that is the value prop that they add, correct? That yeah. I can create more of a market for myself using this person's contacts. I, I assume that's what it is. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's that they, they are, they know all the movers and shakers. So there's no reason for you to be moving and or shaking because they, they can email you. They can email whoever they need to. It's also like the, uh, whatchamacallit, the ad service that I use. Like there are some advertisers that just email me directly and I give them better rates (laughs) because all the money comes directly to me. But when I use the third party, I got to, you know, I got to break them off like 15%, 20%, depending on what it is. I don't want to yes. do that. But they yeah. sell, I have so much more money, like in terms of advertising, because they go sell the ads for me. They bring me in a ton of business, but you know, they are taking a pretty good cut of it. So I'm, I guess in the long run, it's probably better. If anyone out there knows how I can get a US bank account for my business being in Canada, please let me know because I need a US bank account to withdraw some money from somewhere. And I mean, I'm registered in the United States. Like this should be easy for me. I just don't know what to do. Do you know what to do? Can you open a bank account for Mayo Media? <laughs> I have I have no idea how that works. Literally none. Like, do I have to fly down to the States to open up a bank account? Like, can I do that over the phone? How does that work? I mean, do you have, do you have Chase Bank? No. And that, that was like when I first went down to the States the first time, none of the banks are affiliated with, with each other. So like there's TD Bank, like Toronto Dominion Bank, which is one of the bigger banks in Canada. TD yeah. Bank exists in the States, not the same bank. <laughs> Interesting. Because I was like, oh, this will be perfect. I'll open up an account at TD and then I'll have it in both countries. I, I know a few people who have done this now, like moving from Canada to the United States. And then they walk into the TD branch in the States. Like, oh yeah, we actually have no affiliation with the Canadian company. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, start, you, you're starting to see why people want, uh, want to use Bitcoin. I get that. But I mean, I just wish I liked the people who talk about Bitcoin. Yeah, me too. 
Like I don't. I they seem like the no. worst people in the world. No, they are. I'm not even. I'm not even gonna lie to you. They are. They're terrible. It's have the worst. you ever been to a Bitcoin or NFT? Convention? Never, never, never in my life have zero interest. I mean, it just sounds horrible. What do you suppose that's like? Awful. I I, I suppose it's a it's a lot of dudes uh, making themselves feel important. I mean, isn't that what we're doing on this show? Yes, but we are important. Yeah, we certainly are. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, you, you, you are, you are hundred percent, you are hundred percent correct, which is that it, it's the worst. I mean, the people who, the people who are really fanatical about these things are you, you would, they're not people you'd want to hang out with. But isn't that like anyone who's fanatical about anything really? Yes. Yeah. Like, maybe it's because I always, it's funny. That's the common link that Custom Feinberg share is that they are both like fans of things and they get really invested into it. And I just don't understand that. Like I, I'm not that way with anything. Maybe it's a deficiency on my end. It probably is. But I just can't become invested that much in something. I'm invested in like me. Maybe it's just I'm such a narcissist. That's always been the case. I mean, it could be. Like you're, that, that, that could very easily be a thing. Yeah. You, you're fanatical about you. You're fanatical about, about Pat Mayo. Yeah. yeah. And, now my, and now by extension, my business and my family and my children and everything like that. But yeah. All right. Good. Good therapy Precisely. session here at the end. There we go. All right. Perfect way to end the show. Everyone, Pat Mayo, you know where to find the show. Search his name. Give his show five-star ratings and reviews. And uh, we'll be back next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.